And as I was thinking about our third family value, growing disciples, I thought about the hashes. Um, because what, what, they rep, what they talked about was what they live out. This idea that even though I'm comfortable, that isn't always where God wants us to stay. And in fact, if we want to be followers of Jesus, there's this thing about our faith that means we need to be taking steps. We need to be growing. There needs to be progress. And so as I was thinking about this week, this is the first of two weeks talking about growing disciples. What it means for us to be growing disciples is that we are people making progress in looking more like Jesus. That, that's the goal for all of us. For all of us who are followers of Jesus, the goal is that we would, over time, continue to be transformed into the image of Jesus, right? That's, that's our goal. And um, I think what has happened is that um, for many of us, we have begun to believe the myth of, that we can stay stagnant, right? That there's a neutral, right? This idea of, hey, I might, I might not be pressing forward, but that's okay because I'm not going backwards. And what I've thought about this morning is that we have to keep moving if we want to keep growing. And if we're not growing, we're ultimately dying. And as I was thinking about that concept, like many of you, I'm sure, um, I started thinking about sharks. Now, here's what you need to know. I love sharks. I'm a shark aficionado. And here's what it means to love something when you become an adult is that people don't know what to get you anymore. And so if people know you like sharks, you, you end up getting shark, shark, shark socks for Christmas. I can't say it 10 times fast. But I decided since we're talking about sharks, I'll wear some of some of because I have more than one pair of, again, because nobody knows what to get me now that I'm an adult. But here's what you got to know about especially great white sharks. This is not true of all sharks, but great white sharks are some of the kind of sharks that if they don't keep moving forward, they die. There's something about all the ways that they breathe that unless they have water flowing over their gills, there's something going on in there that I don't fully understand, they ultimately will suffocate and die. For a great white shark, if they're not moving forward, they're dying. And I think that it will be helpful for us to consider ourselves this morning spiritually like a great white shark. That if we aren't moving forward, if we aren't making progress, that we ultimately spiritually, we're not staying the same. We're actually beginning to die. And so here's, here's why I want to acknowledge that this definition of growing disciples is difficult is that if we are going to make progress, it's going to require effort, right? That's why we don't like this idea. If we're always supposed to be taking ground and moving forward, that means that we have to always be putting in effort spiritually, right? But take the spiritual component out of it. I, I think about people in the room this morning who are currently trying to make progress in their careers, and what are they doing? They're putting in effort to go get a degree or get another degree, right? Think about people you know who have made progress physically, right? There's a lot of effort and discipline to plan their meals, prep their meals, and then go to the gym way more than any of us want to go. 
right? We know that if we're going to make progress, it's going to take effort. And the question for us Christians is, if God wants us to be making progress in our faith, are we willing to put in the effort required of us? Because we have to be a people marked by progress. What happens is that too many of us are not marked by continuously changing into looking more and more like Jesus. And what happens is that if we're not looking more like Jesus, we begin to look more and more like the world. And so this morning, we're going to be studying Colossians Colossians 2, 1 through 7. And what I think Paul gives us is three markers of progress. Okay, and so let me give you just a little bit of context in chapter one before we jump into chapter two. In chapter one, Paul is saying, hey, you guys are doing a good job, right? Which if you've read Paul's letters, is not always what he's saying. He's not coming to them to correct them. He's coming to them to encourage them. And he's saying, hey, I've never met you. I didn't start your church, but I've heard about your faith And I want you to encourage you to keep doing what you're doing. He knew that there were some people circulating around who could possibly distract them and make them be detracted from their faith. And he was saying, hey, I want you to keep doing what you're doing. And so he prays for them. And then at the end of chapter one, he says, hey, I give my life and sacrifice my life so that people can grow in spiritual maturity, right? And so spiritual maturity is, is the big idea of this passage. And so what he's doing in chapter two is he's saying, hey, I don't know you, I've never met you, but let me personalize this to you. Look at verse one in chapter two. He says, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. All right, just, just think about this. Paul is praying and has such concern for these people that he's never met, that he calls it a struggle. That's how much he cares about their faith. And he says, I'm struggling so that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are all the hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Okay, and so the first marker of progress is that we know. It's that we're, we're increasing our knowledge. Because here's what Paul understood. The key to spiritual health and spiritual progress is an increased focus on and knowledge of Christ. All right, and as we talk about knowing who Jesus is, I, I'm talking about having right knowledge or true knowledge of who Jesus is. Right? See, there were these people, we see it in verse four, there were people in their midst who were trying to sell them something different. And so he says, hey, True knowledge, right knowledge is what you need to increase in and grow in. And I I wanna point out a couple things that this knowledge does. The first thing is that knowledge leads to loving. Knowledge leads to loving. If you look at verse two, 
He says that they are, they're knit together in love. There's an idea of unity here. And what I love about this is that no matter how much you and I try to individualize our faith, as we read the scriptures, we see that our faith is communal, that we have to be in community if we're gonna grow in our faith. And so a more robust understanding of Christ only happens in the context of loving community. And how well we love others, how well we pursue unity is actually a marker of our spiritual maturity. Proper knowledge of Christ leads to proper loving like Christ, right? There's, there's nobody who's growing in what they know about Jesus and is not also growing in loving like Jesus, right? There's no version of us growing in our understanding of the gospel and being less bringing of unity and love to the people around us, right? That's an impossibility. And so my question is, is what does your love and unity towards the body of Christ say about your spiritual maturity? The more we know about Jesus, the more it leads us to love, all right? But I think there's, there's the main thing that he's driving at here is that knowledge leads to love, but it also leads to protection, Knowledge leads to protection. Like I told you, Paul was afraid. He had given his life. I mean, we believe like he's writing this in prison for sharing the gospel. And he's saying, I have given my life so that you would know Jesus. And what he had watched happen to other churches is there were these false teachers and false teachings that would make their way into a church and it would begin to divide and destroy the body of Christ. And so from a distance, he's saying, hey, I, I, don't, I want you to stay firm in your faith. You're doing a good job, but I'm telling you, I've seen how this is gonna go. And so the way that your faith is protected is by increasing your knowledge of who Christ is. Right now, I wanna help us have a little bit of context. There were multiple pressures diff, coming from differing degrees and areas that they were facing. Right, so if you've read the book of Galatians, there was this group out there called the Judaizers. And there were these people who said, hey, you need to follow Jesus, but the way that you become a super Christian is you also follow the teachings of the Jewish law. Right, so he had those people to contend with. They also had the Gnostics, right? There were these people who they were like, yeah, Jesus, but there's also this like other spiritual plane that's like not in the Bible, that's like only reserved for like the elite and if you can get access to that knowledge, then you're really enlightened. And then they also have, right, think about the world that they live in, this like mystical religious polytheism that just says, hey, yeah, add Jesus into all the things you're already worshiping because you kind of want to hedge your bets. Can you really put all of your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus? I don't know, but there's all these other ones you could add it to. Right, so there's all these pressures that Paul is speaking against. And, and notice what he's saying in verse two and three. He says, I want you to have full assurance or complete confidence in what you know and understand about Christ. Think about that, complete confidence. And then he, to drive the point further, he says, right, that God's mystery, like, hey, if you wanna know this mystery, this mystery that only God can give, that comes from God and not from man, you wanna know what the mystery is? It's Christ. And in him, in him and him alone are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Meaning, 
Christian, there's not something new. There's not another tier. There's not this special thing that you need to gain access to. It's, hey, grow and dig deeper and deeper and fuller in your understanding of who Jesus is. And what I think the imagery reminds me of is a cave that's full of jewels and gems, that is just full of riches that if we would dig further and further and further and be willing to put in the effort, we would get more and more treasure. Right? That's, that's who Christ is, that there is no limit to how much we can learn about and grow in our understanding of who he is and the implications of his gospel. He's saying, hey, don't be misled by people who tell you there's something better out there for you than Jesus. And as your pastor, I want to warn you that if, if you're spending time around somebody who, who consistently is talking about, hey, I learned something new, I learned something different, I would give you a caution that most of the time, not all the time, but if someone is consistently talking about all these new things that have been revealed to them or differing things or better things, I would urge you to exercise caution. Because the good thing is, is that, right, we, we have a lot of documents that show us for the last 2,000 years what the church has believed. And that's written down and there's, there's creed after creed after creed that tells us about the basic truths of our faith. And there is something good for us to say, hey, you know what? It's really great that the things that we believe about Jesus now are the same things that they believed about Jesus in 200 and 400 and 1,000. Right, and so what Paul is saying is that the fuller your understanding of Christ and his gospel the less susceptible you are to being led astray, right? And here's the thing. We understand this in our everyday lives, right? Like before you really know something about a particular field, you, you don't know what you don't know. So I remember graduating college and entering the working world, and I just assumed, you know, I, I, I believed the lie that Wofford told me. Come to Wofford, pay far too much money for this liberal arts education that is very general and not all that specific, and then, and then you will get a really awesome high-paying job that's kind of easy and you can be your own boss, right? That's kind of the lie that was preached to me. Now, here, I love Wofford, um, but I feel like that's the lie that I was that I was fed, okay? So I remember coming out of Wofford looking for a job and Lauren and I had similar experiences. We both had different things we were interested in. Like I remember she applied for this job that was talking about, it was marketing. And it was really vague and generalized. And I was looking at a job that talked about a leadership pipeline, right? Like we both kind of went down a different path. But here's what we got really clear on very quickly. The jobs that we applied for and showed up to interview for were the most basic tier sales jobs that were 1,000% commission that we knew we both would be terrible at. But before you know, before you learn how to like read what a job description really means on Indeed, like fast-paced and dynamic, all those things just mean it's gonna be terrible, you're gonna work really hard and you're probably not gonna make any money. Yeah, we got, we, got, we got one strong yep in the back right there. And here's the thing, I didn't know. But guess what? As my knowledge and experience increased, now I'm like, nope, uh-uh. 
You, someone's like, hey, I'm going for this job interview, and this is what it says. I'm like, bro, you better be careful, bro. You're going to be selling insurance, I'm telling you. <laughs> and here's the deal. If you're an insurance salesman, amazing. That's great. I'm glad that's you. But I couldn't do it. Right? The more you know, the more you're protected by being led astray. And here's, here's what I'm afraid of, y'all. I'm afraid that we think that because we do not live in a culture that talks about religion to the same degree as 2,000 years ago, that somehow there are less false teachers and false teachings in our midst. And, and let me just correct that. We live in the information age, meaning that there is more information and ideas on our phone screens than at any other time in human history. And, and if you pay attention, if you zoom out, every Facebook post and every news article that comes across your phone screen does have a philosophy or a lifestyle that it is trying to disciple you in. And so if we aren't clear on who Jesus is and growing in that knowledge, we just like them are going to be led astray. And so what I wanna do is just help point out a couple of these that I have seen or heard in our world. All right, one of them is legalism. It's this idea that, yeah, 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 you're saved by grace through faith. faith. But here's the thing. We're really gonna attach the assurance of your salvation to the things that you don't do, right? And so, hey, yeah, I know Jesus is good, but you know, if you really wanna feel good about your relationship with Jesus, then you better dress the way we tell you to dress. And you better not read books that aren't on our, our, our thumbs up list. And there are certain kind of music that, I mean, uh-uh. And, and here, let me be clear, let me be clear. We are called to a life that is holy, above reproach, to be honoring to God. But if we believe that what makes us Christ-like is only identified based on the things that we don't do, then we have missed the point and we have believed a false gospel. Let me give you another one, right? We Think about this, y'all. We live in an age defined by our feelings. And what I am seeing, seeing happen is that that emotionalism is coming in to the church. And so one, one example of this would be hyper-charismatic Christianity. Now hear me. I'm not talking about charismatic Christianity. I'm talking about the, the subset of Christianity that would say, hey, if you don't speak in tongues, you don't possess the Holy Spirit. And if you don't have the Holy Spirit, then you probably aren't a Christian, right? You see how that would be us adding to the gospel. Let me give you one that I have noticed that isn't relate, religious in nature, but I think has the same spirit of enlightenment. I think our conspiracy theory culture is a version of this. Because here's what a conspiracy theory says. There's this thing that everybody believes, but there's this select few of us that had the ability to read the article or watch the video on YouTube that gives us enlightenment that nobody else possesses. And if you notice, typically that means elevating what I think about myself and looking down on others who don't believe that same thing. And so I, I illustrate those only because I want us to see that we live in an age that is just as full 
of false teaching and false teachers. And these kind of philosophies are going to distract you from making progress. At best, they're gonna send you down rabbit holes of being on Facebook till one in the morning or what they're gonna do is they're going to begin to cause you to drift from the truth and focus on things that aren't the most important thing. So let me ask you, does your knowledge of Christ and the gospel protect you? And are you making progress in your understanding of Christ and the implications of the gospel? Knowledge leads to protection. And one more thing I want you to see is that knowledge leads to stability. And this is, I want to highlight this because again, we live in an era marked by emotions. And if you let your emotions and feelings rule you, I can tell you it does not lead to stability. Paul in verse five says he's rejoicing. This is interesting. He basically says, hey, I'm not with you, but like I'm with you in heart. I'm rejoicing to see your good order in the firmness of your faith in Christ. The words good order and firmness are actually military metaphors. He's just gonna use metaphor after metaphor here. And good order refers to proper arrangement. So imagine an army is going out to fight and the ranks of the army are in their proper order, right? From the front to the back, there's the first line of defense all the way back. And what he's saying is that right knowledge of Christ orders our lives and our faith in such a way that's right and proper, but it's not just right and proper. It says that it is firm. It's a, it's a solid front. It's like the Spartan, is it like the phalanx? Phalanx, you know what I'm talking about. The phalanx formation, right? I think that was ninth grade history. I remember learning about the Spartans, right? They would line up, they'd have their little shields, they'd get in the line. And because they were together and in the right formation, nobody was getting through. And he's saying, hey, your faith has led to a firmness. It's, it's arranged, it's proper. And he's saying, hey, if you don't keep increasing in your knowledge and you let other things rule your life, it is going to be unstable. It's gonna be movable. But he's saying, hey, if you keep digging into who Jesus is, it's gonna create stability in your life. And I'm telling you, when you're in college, that word stability sounds like a terrible thing. You get married, you get some kids, you're like, if I could just get some stability... This schedule, this idealized schedule that they don't cooperate for because they don't want to nap. I can hear them right now, literally. <laughs> I bet it's mine, I'm telling you. Okay. <laughs> you just can't make that up. So the first marker of progress is that we know, we increase our knowledge of who Jesus is. The second, this is not gonna be revolutionary on a week where we're talking about growing disciples, the second marker is that we grow, that we grow. Verse six and seven, what Ben read, it says, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught. See, what Paul is saying is that right knowing leads to growing. A fuller understanding of who God is leads to progress. As you and I get a fuller picture of who Jesus is, it propels us to grow. Right, the principle here is that we become what we behold. The more we look at something or someone, the more we become like them. And if our goal is becoming more like Jesus, then the more we look, like, the more we look at him, the more we should look like him. 
It should impact how we live. That's why he says, hey, as you received Christ, walk in him. He's saying, hey, walk out your faith. Grow in applying what you've learned. And I think it's important for us to say, hey, if we are people who spend time reading the Bible, reading books about the Bible, spending time studying the Bible in groups, and we aren't growing in our faith, then we need to step back and ask the question, why? Because all of those things should produce growth, and yet some of the Christians I've met who are most dedicated to gaining knowledge are some of the least loving and spiritually immature people I've met. Right, just this week, I was talking, I was listening to a podcast talking about why young churches need apologetics. And the guy who was being interviewed is an apologetics professor at a seminary. And he said, you know, Dallas Willard says that apologetics is the ministry of helping people with their questions. And he kind of stopped and laughed and he goes, people who love apologetics don't usually care about helping people. I was like, oh goodness, it's true. He's the professor, he can say it, right? If, if we are increasing our knowledge, but it's not causing us to grow more like Jesus, then we're learning the wrong thing or we're focusing on the wrong thing. And so we should be making progress. We should be growing. And, and here's what I'm not asking. I'm not asking, hey, are you where you want to be? I'm not asking if you don't struggle. All we're asking this morning is, do you see fruit in your life? Do you see fruit of the spirit? Do you see evidence of Jesus being at work in you? My mom and I have been talking about this imagery lately, right? Of like, when you get squeezed, what comes out of you, right? So if you squeeze an orange, orange juice is coming out. So this week, this is a true story. I got my AirPods in my ears. I am working on this. I, have, I cannot hear anything. Jonathan comes into my office he, he, he's trying to get my attention. I can't hear anything. And he comes up and just like gets me. And I'm telling you, I ended up on the floor and I was like, okay, okay. I'm making some progress because I am not ashamed of what came out of my mouth. And I did scream and noise came out. But the reality is, is that had you squeezed Zach like that and scared him years ago, I, we, it wouldn't have been okay to talk about what came out of my mouth, right? That's, that's progress, right? That when we're squeezed, what's coming out is more and more like Jesus. And so if we are going to have fruit, what, if you think about a plant, what allows fruit to grow? It's roots. That's why Paul says that we are rooted in Christ, that our roots have gone down deep in him so that the fruit that is coming out in our lives is more of him and not more of the dirt that is us. So I did a little bit of, you know, Googling research as to the importance of roots. And this one gardening website, which I obviously frequent all the time, <clears throat> it's not true. Um, I really started to get eyes for Lauren in our biology class and so I don't remember anything about like the herbology side of things. Like that was early on. And I remember things, thinking she was really cute and I didn't really have her attention yet. You know, so I was really working hard every single day 
to bother her into liking me. It was an effective strategy. Um, so I needed to learn. I don't know anything about roots. This is what it says. Did you know that what you see above ground in your plants is really determined by what's hidden underground? What happens underground where the plant roots live drives plant growth. The bigger and healthier the root system, the bigger and healthier the plant. Right? Apply this spiritually, right? If we are going to grow up and out, we first have to dig deep roots into Jesus. And what happens is that we, we want the fruit of following Jesus without putting in the work to grow down into who he is. And so we have to be growing in what we know about God, digging down deeper into Christ so that the right fruit comes out of us. Right? The only way we grow is by letting time pass. And so do you know what the key to maturity is? It's consistency. The key to progress is persistence because it takes time to make progress, right? I, I think so often what we want is we want to go to one spiritual event and have everything change immediately so we don't even have to struggle at following Jesus. It would be incredible if it worked that way. And every once in a while, God moves that way. But can I tell you that the way that God most often moves is slow change over time, right? We live in a culture that is obsessed with the microwave and not the crock pot. Now I get it, yeah, some of you, you like your crock pot recipes. I hear you, I got you. But if we're honest, if it worked the same and tasted the same, we would all slam it in the microwave. It's why I don't even wanna heat my pizza up in the air fryer, because it's gonna take me longer. And I ask the question, is it worth it? It always is, but I don't ever want to wait, right? The same thing is true in our faith. And I do know that there's some of you in here this morning that when you hear about progress, the way that your brain and its sin is wired is to hear progress and insert the word perfection. And so it's important to know that growing means progress, not perfection, Right? I, I, know, I know some of you in here, this is true of you. Hear me say, perfection is not the standard of progress in our faith. God wants you to grow and become more like him. But here's the thing, if you and I could live a perfect life, Christ would not have needed to come to live, die, and raise again on our behalf. And so hear me, hear me. And this is more, usually more sisters than brothers Hear me, God wants you to put in effort to grow with him. But just because you're not exactly where you want to be, just because there are some things that you still struggle with does not mean you're not making progress in your faith. My guess is that you care, that what, but that feeling actually shows how much you care about wanting to grow. And so do not let your desire to grow begin to heap shame on you that you're not yet where you need to be. Keep taking steps, keep moving, keep progressing, and God is going to transform you more into his image in the time and pace that he sees fit. You are honoring him as you take step by step. Keep moving and keep making progress. So we increase 
what we know about Christ. We apply that and we grow in Christ. And the last thing that we do is we overflow. The end of verse seven says that we are abounding in thanksgiving. The the imagery there is a river that because of so much rain going into it is overflowing the banks out. The idea is that we're overflowing in thanksgiving. And I, I think, I'll be honest, gratitude is not something that um, comes naturally to me. And so the question I was asking myself as I was reading this part of the verse was, hey, you, you wanna know how you're mature, if you're maturing in your relationship with Christ, is if you're increasing in your gratitude for Christ. Because the more we dig into knowing who Jesus is, the more we realize how far we were from him and how much we did not deserve a relationship with him the more we look and see, oh my goodness, he is growing me, he's changing me, he's making me more into his image, the more you realize you can't do that in your own strength. And as you continue to know and grow, it increases your gratitude to the point where it overflows. And so what would happen, church, if we were people who were continuously taking steps in our faith, increasing what we know about Christ, growing in how we apply what we know and overflowing in gratitude. Like just just think about if we were marked by the kind of progress that God wants us to be. I think what would happen is that overflowing gratitude would, would begin to get on other people, right? And as other people see and experience Jesus through what he's doing in us, it's gonna be a compelling witness to a watching world. That's why, that's one of the reasons why it matters so much that we continue to make progress in our faith. And that, that means that there's no, there's no arriving in our faith, right? That if we're still breathing, there's work that God wants to do. And so, History is full of people and companies that put in effort to get to the top and then began to take their foot off the gas only to become an afterthought or a punchline. I mean, literally this week, Jonathan and I were joking about now it's like the play it again sports slash Jake's Wayback Burgers parking lot on the west side of Spartanburg. It used to be the Blockbuster parking lot. When I grew up on the west side of Spartanburg, was the Blockbuster parking lot. It ain't anymore, right? Blockbuster is a punchline. Why? Because they couldn't adapt. And as I think about this principle, I think about Kodak. Now I know we've got some photographers in the room. Some of you still like to use film, black and white film, olden days. And Kodak made it to the top of the camera industry. Like they were the gold standard, so much so that they're looking down on everybody else like, you're never gonna reach us. And so what they did is they took their foot off the gas in terms of development and everybody else put in time, effort, resources, and effort into digital cameras. You know who you don't hear about anymore? Kodak. Why? because they stopped making progress and eventually they died. And I think what happens too often for Christians 
is that we, we, we receive Jesus, we grow in our faith, and there's a point that comes where we go, hey, I'm, I'm good. I'm good in my faith. We take our foot off the gas. We don't realize that we're actually drifting backwards until we're in a spot that we never thought we'd be in. And church, I don't want that for us. I want us to be people who are continuing to grow, continuing to let Jesus transform us so that he can work in us and through us. Not people who look up and go, how did I get here? Because I took my eyes off of Jesus and my foot off the pedal. And so I want to know, is your life marked by progress in your faith? Is there one of these three markers that you know needs some intentional effort? Do you need to make progress in what you know of Christ? Do you need to deepen your understanding of him and the implications of the gospel? Or do you need to make progress in more consistently applying what you know about Christ? Is there any area of your life that you need to commit to living in obedience to Jesus to? And is there someone you can share that commitment with so they can hold you accountable? And then what does your level of gratitude reflect of your spiritual maturity? Do you need to make some progress in what it means to be grateful? Right? My, my guess is that because Jesus wants us to grow, we all have a step we can take this morning. And then I just want to acknowledge that it's possible that there's someone in here this morning who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. And the way that you can make progress in your faith is to surrender your life to him and actually begin a relationship with him this morning. And so in just a moment, we're gonna have a chance to do that. I'm gonna pray for us. And then we're gonna get a chance to make, take communion this morning. And so I'm gonna walk us through that after I pray. Let's pray together. God, we are grateful. We're grateful for Jesus. We're grateful for you allowing us to see the truth about who he is. God, help us to grow in our knowledge and understanding of who he is. God, we want to be people marked by progress. We want to look more and more like you so that you get the glory, so that we get the joy, and so that the world gets the good. God, we love you. It's your name I pray. Amen. All right, so like I said, we're gonna get to take communion this morning and I wanna read Luke 22, 19 through 20. This is Luke's account of the Last Supper. Starting in verse 19, he says, Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this is the cup, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Okay, so here's what, here's what communion is. Communion is a chance for us to remember the death of Jesus, that his body was broken, that his blood was poured out. And as I've been thinking about communion in light of this passage, Communion is a tangible way for us to express and increase our gratitude. 
that as we take tangible symbols of what Jesus did for us, that that would help to increase how much we are grateful to him. And so we, we use an unleavened loaf of bread that can be easily broken to represent that Jesus's body was broken for us. We use grape juice mixed with vinegar to represent that there's a bittersweet nature to the blood shed for us. And we practice open table communion, which means that if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've surrendered your life to him, whether or not you're a part of this church or even this denomination, that it's, it's good for you to take communion this morning. And I would just ask that if you're in here this morning and you're, you're not a Christian or you're, you're unsure or you have questions, I, I would ur- encourage you to just stay seated and to use this time this morning maybe to ask yourself some questions about who you think Jesus is. Maybe to talk to God for the first time and pray with him. And if this morning you, you know that you're, you're not a follower of Jesus, but you have questions about that, or you want to begin a relationship with him today, I'll be in the back of the room. I would love to talk with you or pray with you. And so as we take communion, what I wanna do is I wanna give you time and space to take communion at your own pace, which means the table is there and you can go get the elements as you feel ready. And I would encourage you to prepare your heart, whether you do that before you get them or after you get them, that you would take some time and personally express worship, praise, and gratitude for who Jesus is, what he's done for you. I would encourage you that if you're with your family, maybe it would be a good opportunity to even pray together. And so there's gonna be time, the band's gonna play a little bit. And and then after we've had some time to move, they're gonna lead us in one more song. But I encourage you to use the space to worship well. There's no rush. There's no one who's gonna try to hurry you this morning. There's time to worship him by taking communion. So as you feel led, y'all can move and take the elements now.